0: The following presentation is a Barrett Sports Media production.
1: Recognizing
0: the unsung heroes of sports media. I'm stuck in this
1: pit, working for less than slave wages, working on my day off. This is the Producers Podcast with Brady Farkas. I'm the executive producer. Oh, you're the executive producer. And it starts now. Now. Very, very excited for episode two today. We're going to be sitting down with Steve Cerruti of Spotify and The Ringer. He is the producer of The Ryan Rossillo Show. Also does some work on Bill Simmons' podcast over at The Ringer. But he's also had a lengthy daily radio career, spending a number of years at ESPN Radio, where he worked on all the different iterations of The Russillo Show, from SVP and Russillo to Rosillo and Cannell to just The Ryan Rossillo Show with Will Kane. So he's got experience in both camps of traditional radio and podcasting. So look forward to a hearing from him about some of the differences between the two, any of the similarities and advice he has for young producers. Steve, you've seen it from both sides. What are some of the differences between producing daily radio and producing in podcast form? Man, you know, you'd think that that would be relatively
0: easy. I think, you know, in, in daily radio, you know, for most of the shows that I did, it was, you know, three hours, four hours of being live. I always said that that and I've talked about those multiple hosts and producers that I've worked with. I think that's the hardest job in media is to host, uh, especially a solo talk show in radio. Whereas in podcasting, I think the biggest thing is like, you know, you're picking, you know, you're trying to keep it within usually for us. It's 90 minutes, right? You're trying to pick and choose like what are our what's our best stuff. So I guess the biggest difference would be you're not repeating yourself uh, on podcasting, whereas like you know most radio producers know like you know maybe every ninety minutes you're trying to like shuffle through the same sort of topics for new audiences, and because you never want knowing those kind of things change. And I think in podcasting there's a little bit more freedom to like show your personality for a longer period of time. Like I think the audience, once the audience has like their trust level in you, they're going to seek you out as opposed to a lot of radio listeners who might just be flipping the dial and trying to see what's going on and uh, hoping to find a connection with a host that's on the air. So. Both are similar in which, you know, they're obviously you have to be an engaging talent and somebody that people want to hear from and confident about what your takes are. But I think in podcasting, it's a little bit more relaxed and it's a little bit more nuanced. And, you know, you could really get to know somebody a little bit better than you can on radio. So I like a lot. I like both. I like, the, I love the freedom of being able to explore in radio, of like, hey, let's just go down this angle and see if it's interesting. You don't really do that as much in podcasting unless it's with a guest that's somebody that you like. Where in podcasting, I think it's a little bit more streamlined and a little bit more formatted.
1: What's it like to not have to do it every single day? Are there times where that that's an advantage? Are there times where that's a disadvantage not being on the air every day? Yeah, you know what I always think about this. Like
0: sometimes, and i I do miss this about radio um, is we don't get to cover as much of the little stories as as we used to. Like, for example, you know um on a Raillo pod, we'll probably touch on the Arch Manning thing, whereas on the radio show, that would have been a segment. We'd probably have a guest on about it. Yeah. Like you just get you get to dive into some topics a little bit more. And you know, I've noticed a little bit with some of the stuff we do is it's it's sort of like hyper seasonalized too. Like we, you know, we were just coming off of NBA season here, so we're very NBA focused, and we haven't done a ton of football. Even though there have been some some football stories where, in the radio days, we would have done both, been able to do both. So I do I do sort of miss, I guess, being able to dive deeper into some of the smaller, more niche stories that might be like a B-level story, but like the host is really passionate about it. That kind of stuff, you know, we do try to get to that a little bit in the podcast zone, but it's much easier to get to that in
1: the radio. Uh, in the radio. How much editing goes into the Rosillo show post-production? Obviously, when you do a live radio show, it's imperfect and it just goes. In post-production on podcasting, are you doing a lot of editing or are you just letting it go as it was recorded? It depends. I mean, obviously, because of uh, because of the pandemic,
0: we've been doing so much stuff over Zoom now. You know, obviously, before it was, in, we we're still going into studios. and Not that there wasn't the element of being able to record at home in a non-studio environment, but if, if we were in a studio, there's probably less that has to happen, right? Where you know, you're you're not cleaning up echoes, you're not cleaning up like a reverb, you're not cleaning up you know any sort of like background noise. Which you know, I'm sitting here doing this, and I, I, this is where I record. It's in just like an empty guest bedroom right in my house, and. <laughs> it has a very, it's, it's not a very sound friendly environment, right? So, you know, using Pro Tools, you kind of have to go in there and do all your plugins and different things like that. So I would say, if you're in a studio, cleaning up, you know, if there's a new, if there's like a, a, a toss that we want to re-record, or if there's like an outro that we want to re-record, or, you know, if there's a slip up or an error or something like things like that, you could you could redo that you'd always do. And as far as you know, different editing things, but when you're at home, There's so many different plugins, like our editors are, are, you know, if if it's about an hour long podcast, you know, it usually takes about an hour, 90 minutes to really like flush out and edit the entire thing. That's just putting through a bunch of different plugins to try to make the sound sound as
1: as much as close to studio quality as possible. You know, how important is it for you to learn the nooks and crannies of the editing process? Because like to this day, I've been doing this for eight years. But to this day, I couldn't tell you what half the editing features on audition are and all these things, you know, I, I don't understand what half of them mean. So how important is it for you to kind of get yourself immersed in what some of that stuff does? I try to have at least an idea of
0: what needs to be done. So that way I can like if I'm ever giving anyone sort of like some tips or critiques on like how to make something sound better. I always want to know what I'm talking about, right? You know, at least I want to know like what the tools are in my radio days. You know, we use heavily Adobe audition, as you mentioned, which, you know, I, yeah. I think is probably the easiest editing tool if you're not like having to clean up audio as far as just like cut and paste, edit stuff, simple cleanups, things like that. I think that's probably the best editing tool in my opinion. But then when you, in the question you just asked me about kind of like cleaning up audio and non-studio environments, you know, we do use pro tools now over at Spotify and the ringer and it's definitely a more complicated program, but it's something, and it's it's really kind of tailored more towards musicians, but some of the stuff and some of the plugins and some of the things that you can do editing wise are really impressive, but also like really, you know, you really have to like dive deep. And like, it's one of those things where I'll watch like YouTube videos just to kind of like yeah. <laughs> be able to at least somewhat educate myself on like how to do this stuff. I'm not doing as much editing as I was during, during you know, during the old days, but for some of my guys who I talk to on a regular basis who are having to figure out different studio recording environments and like, you know, what needs to be done, and, you know, basically how to tweak something to make it sound as good as possible. I like to at least have the best idea of like what, you know, so I could talk to them and have a good conversation. They're all they're all better than me at it because they do it every day. <laughs> but at least I, I at least like to have an idea of like what I'm talking about when I can offer up some critiques.
1: How has the role or the expectation of a producer changed in the decade or so that you've been doing producing roles?
0: For me, I can only speak for me specifically, you know, I always pride myself in being able to do content as well as you know, even just like on air hosts, you know, I, I like to come up with ideas. I like to be creative. That comes from like, just, you know, topics of just like segments that we do or guest booking or, you know, future planning, things like that. So that's always something that I've really tried to do. And, and, but I think now everyone is so good at that. And everyone is like trying to look for this like weird angle or doing lists or doing, you know, rankings are always like the king of, of pretty much anything now, right? Everybody has to rank stuff. And I think, you know, some people do it better than others. So it's, you, you kind of have to continue to like find the trends of like what works and what, you know, what sort of segments um, your audience wants to hear and kind of being adaptable. Um, and the other thing I would say is just kind of like protecting the host, I think is a little bit more important these days. You know, a conversation that we could have certainly had like 10, even five years ago, you know, you have to be a little bit more careful and delicate on these days and and rightfully so. So I think, you know, that's sort of like much more in my in the front of my mind when listening back or when I'm, you know, sort of producing shows is one, like what's setting our, what is setting our content apart, which I think has always been there, but two also like, are we being, is, is everything being said in the right light? Are we covering all the possible angles of this story that we should, that of things that we wouldn't have thought, you know, five, 10 years ago that, 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 that deserve to be, you know, essentially covered or at least talked about, or at least that perspective is covered. So I think that's probably the biggest way
1: to change. You know, I think when I started in this business, you know, as a producer, I was really careful about not stepping on the host's toes, right? Like you didn't want to come on too strong. You didn't want to be too opinionated. You didn't want to have too many ideas in the meeting. But then eventually you kind of get a rapport with the host to where you can push back or bring in some conversational points to the show. You've worked with Rosillo for a number of years now. At what point did you either get the courage or find your voice or be given the the freedom by him to bring some things to the table that you may have been too nervous about before? It's funny, I am,
0: this is something Ryan and I've talked about a lot, because there would be show meetings back in the day where, you know, new guy comes in, and he just wants to prove a point, right? He or she wants to prove yep. a point. So they're like, they're going to fire every hot take they can at you because they want to impress you, which is really not what you should be doing, especially if you're new in, in, in the meeting room or in a, in a you know, in like content planning room or a show planning, a pre-show meeting. And we've had our fair share of guys. And it's, it's one of those things where like, I know that they mean well, but. I was always kind of a guy who I would chime in when I was, when I felt really strongly about something initially, or if I really thought that this story we should be covered, or I should thought that, you know, it should have been covered this way. You know, I think one of the first things that, and I think Ryan and, and Van Pelt still joke about it to this day. One of the first things that they were kind of like, what the hell is this guy's deal? When they were talking about me in the control room was like, I, I really defended Alex Smith because I'm a 49ers fan. Right. Yeah. And I've watched this guy year in and year out and yeah, he didn't have a great, you know, start to his career, Basically labeled a bus pretty early on. And that's fine. That's all on fine. But I always kind of defended him. And I was like, listen, this team is terrible. And I listed all these reasons why Like, I actually don't think he's that bad and why I think he could be a decent quarterback and why I think he gets unnecessarily clowned on. And the way that I sort of, I guess, expressed that opinion and laid it out, I think, it one, it was like, what the hell is this guy talking about? This is like a <laughs> take out of left field who defends Alex Smith, but also like, it was like actually a pretty good defense of this guy. Like, okay, that does actually make sense. So they are more willing to like, kind of listen to me in the future. So I would say to any like kind of young producer or somebody who's trying to at least like gain the trust of, of your host is, you know, pick and choose the spots where you feel really confident about something. Because like, no, you know, I think the worst thing that, that, that a producer can do is try to like stifle or shoot down or like out hot take a host. Like, you know, I, my thing as a producer has always been to like, you know, I will. I will. I'll point out stories that I think are important. But like, if, if the host doesn't find five, ten stories a day, if they're hosting a you know three hour radio show that they think are hot, that they think are like things that we should be talking about, then you know, then we have a problem because they should be the ones driving. What I, I I can't tell you what you should be hot on. I can't tell you yeah. what you should be passionate about. What I can do is help formulate your opinions, help make you know, help basically give you some staff to back up your opinion, give you the opposing views that you're prepared for that. But I can't tell you what you should be hot on. So. You know, I think when young producers go into a room and they start to just like guns blazing, start shooting takes around and telling people this, no, 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 this, no, no, that. I think you should just take it easy, pick and choose your spots and make sure that, you know, you're you're bringing, make sure you're giving them something valuable in return. They will, you know, they'll essentially trust you and respect that in the future.
1: I'll get you out of here on this. I think this is going to be a common thread as I do more of these that most producers have on air aspirations, not all, but most do. How do you pick and choose your spots, when to, you know, either ask for the mic from the host or when to just grab the mic and jump in? Because it certainly can be fun to have the producer involved, but it can also be kind of, you don't want to overtake the show. That's an excellent question. And it's actually a really, I mean,
0: it's a really hard thing to sort of navigate. I mean, from my own experience, I never got into this saying, hey, I want to host my own five day a week show. I liked I liked talking on the air when I had something to say, when I had something when I thought I had like a good point or a take. Um, but I kind of came at it from that perspective. And, you know, one of the first times I ever got to basically talk on the air during a show was because of a segment idea that I basically proposed, right? It was like it was like 10 NBA questions that we were doing during the middle of a season. And, you know, I think Ryan and Scott were like, why don't you just read them? Just read them on air for us. we be, you know, instead of instead of using our voice guy, we'll just have mm-hmm. you do it. And I was like, okay, sure. And then they would ask me follow-up questions about it. And again, I think that's like a level of trust that you have to build. Like if you're any young producer, like I don't, I wouldn't just turn the mic on and start spewing stuff, you know, whenever you want, I think what the best way to sort of like start doing that would be, you know, gain the trust of your host in the pre-show meetings, make sure that they, you know, enjoy kind of like the perspectives that you're bringing, let them kind of bring you on first. And then as you sort of get more comfortable and you, and you kind of like know the, the tendencies and the cadences of your host, you can kind of pick and choose your spots when you know, there's a lull or you know that like some funny thing could be, could be dropped in or, If you know that, like you want to keep them in check, like for example, like when I used to work on the Will Cain show, the three of us we had pretty much an open mic policy at all times. That didn't mean that we should be talking at all times. And I think a lot of us had a really good kind of like knack, especially Nuno and Bubba, comedic knacks of like when to just drop a one liner in there. And a lot of that is like part of it is you have to be funny, you have to have good timing. Um, Because there are certainly shows of producers where you know I just like, hey man, like you gotta you gotta turn the mic off. You've been talking for you've been talking for ninety seconds straight. Like this is not this is not your time to shine, man. Like this isn't the so-and-so show this is so this is the host show so it's, it's actually a pretty fine balance i mean some hosts really like it some hosts don't like it at all you kind of just have to figure out what um what your host needs and that was always one thing i felt like ryan liked and wanted for me and the same thing with will was they liked the back and forth they liked the banter but they liked it with someone that they trusted so you kind of have to be
1: it goes back to everything we just talked about like you have to just make sure you get in the host good graces and are bringing value to the table steve saruni rasillo show podcast host has also spent time at espn radio and he's worked on SVP and Rosillo, Rosillo and Cannell, the Rosillo show with Will Kane. So he's been everywhere in, in traditional radio as well, and now dominating in the podcast sphere too. So Steve, man, we appreciate you uh, being a part of episode two, and we'll check in down the road. Thanks, Anytime. Great stuff there with Steve Cerruti of Spotify and The Ringer. Again, the Ryan Rosillo show and the Bill Simmons podcast, he is a part of there. And if there was one thing that I took away from my talk with Cerruti, it was that you have to gain the trust of your host your host has to trust you. One, that you're bringing value to the show from a from a pre-production standpoint, that you're able to come up with interesting topics and ideas and stay on top of things like stories, articles, and sound bites that might be relevant for the show. But also then in terms of getting your opportunity to talk on the air, your host has to trust that you will continue to add value. And You do have to straddle that line and uh, find that delicate balance between talking what is a good amount and over-talking and trying to steal the show yourself. But a lot of great stuff there from a decade-plus long career for Steve Cerruti as a producer as well. That's it for Episode 2. We'll see you in Episode 3 of the Barrett Sports Media Producers Podcast. You don't want to believe it, but maybe the show is over. Thank you for listening to the Producers Podcast. To enjoy past and future episodes, check out iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, the iHeart app, and BarrettSportsMedia.com.